and welcome into a midweek quick hit edition of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, as well as the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey West Regional Championship, just right around the corner here, Arif. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean, and of course, Patrick Stedman making us sound good. Arif. Hey, hey, JJ. Call, calling it a quick hit isn't going to make me talk less. Just just want to let you know that. I, I'm just trying to foreshadow for us and maybe, you know, plant the seed in your head subconsciously that might make this one Good luck. a quicker hit podcast like we actually intend to. But, Arif, as we speak right now and as we're recording here on Thursday evening, the Philadelphia Flyers are hosting a ceremonial game for Claude Giroux and his 1,000th game in the NHL and in a Philadelphia Flyers sweater. My question to you, of course, we, we know the speculation going around. We're waiting with bated breath on what actually happens. But whoever he goes to, how long after this 1,000th game do you anticipate the transaction being fulfilled, whether it's to Colorado, Florida, or wherever he lands? How long do you think it will be? I think it'll be pretty soon. Um, the better question for me is the Philadelphia Flyers are playing in Ottawa tomorrow night, Friday, and uh, I don't know if Claude Giroux is dressing for that game. I think his Flyers career ends with a solid 1,000 games. As hard as it is to say that because he's from Hearst, Ontario, right up the road from Ottawa, and it would be really cool for him to play there, but I just cannot see the Flyers risking a potential injury for him to play Friday, Um, and I think he's traded this weekend, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Absolutely, and if you got the chance to see any of the videos today from, I guess the they pre warm up, yep. they they were right. They did, they did a lot for him. Yeah, right. Not only that, but it was really emotional, right? And you can tell from him there was extra emotion behind it. And reading between the lines, you know, we love to speculate here on Hockey Mountain High. That was his last game in a Philadelphia Flyers sweater. I won't. I will be very surprised if he even makes it to Saturday without this move being complete. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think um, I think he gets traded this weekend, probably by Saturday, whether it's to the Avs or the Panthers, and we'll talk about that later on in the show. Um, but I think his Flyers career will end with a solid one thousand games, and and what a what a tenure it was. Absolutely, you know, I will be disappointed if he doesn't end up coming to the Avalanche, but you know, the Avalanche always end up making a big splash. So, and we know they're gearing up for one too. So I, I want to see him in an Av sweater, but wherever he goes, you know, it's going to be fun to see him get a run at a, at a cup here. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's going to be a couple of teams here that we've mentioned and the St. Louis blues are another one that are all looking for him. And I think he's going to go to a cup contender and he's going to get a real shot at it. With that being said, there's news to discuss in Avalanche land. Since our last recording, Arif Tyson Jost has been traded to the Minnesota Wild for Nico Sturm. Before we get into Tyson Jost, let's get into Nico Sturm and what he brings to the table, what he can provide. I'll start. I really am huge on the fact that he is big on faceoffs. Faceoffs, we know around Avalanche Land, have been a problem for a long time, and they've been a problem this season. You've seen them have to overwork a guy like Nazem Kadri, especially in the defensive zone. They he he's exhausted. He's trying to come off for a little bit of a break, and they throw him right back out there yeah. because they have nobody else to throw on a defensive zone faceoff. They gave Tyson Jost plenty of opportunities. He wasn't able to seize those opportunities. So I'm excited to get a fresh face, see what he can bring to the face-off dot. I know he's just a bottom six type of guy, but this is a, a, a piece that they needed to, I guess, address with the issues at the face-off. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this the other day. The only player on the Avalanche roster with a higher face-off percentage than Nico Sturm right now is, is Gabe Landeskog. So that should tell you all you need to know about the Avs. And I think, I think he's going to be, you know, which player has the higher upside and maybe the higher ceiling? Maybe Tyson Jost. He's more of a wild card, I would say, than, than Nico Sturm. But in regards to the Avalanche right now, this playoff run, winning the Stanley Cup in 2022, I, I wholeheartedly believe that Nico Sturm is a better fit for what the Avalanche need right now, the way that they're shaping their roster. He's a bigger player. He makes a lot of, uh, you know, he's he plays a very physical game. He still also kills penalties like Tyson Jost does. So hopefully he kind of is a seamless transition. Granted, the Avalanche's PK hasn't been that good anyway, so hopefully it only gets better. Um but the biggest thing with me with this guy is not only the face-offs, it's the way that Jared Bednar explained him. And he kind of talked about Tyson Jost and, you know, was reminiscent over 
the time that he had with Tyson and the fact that he had been there pretty much the entire time that Jared had been there. And then he said, and now on to Nico Sturm. And he had the smile on his face explaining him. And he goes, this is a forward version of Josh Manson and basically goes on to say that he's a big body and he's going to kill people, kind of like Josh Manson did in his debut. So the Avalanche are looking like they identified a need and they got exactly the player that they need for that role. You're not going to go out and acquire, you know, a, an all-star player that should be a second line center to play on your fourth line. You're not building Team Canada where your fourth line center is an all-star. You're building players by role. And I think what they get in this guy is the exact type of replacement you want after Pierre-Edouard Belmar walked in the summer. Yeah, I mean, they and they added Curtis McDermott during the offseason, yep. right? And there's an obvious theme to the guys that they're getting here during this trade line. They're getting bigger guys, physical guys. We're not going to get pushed around in the playoffs. Exactly. The quote-unquote playoff recipe to play playoff-style hockey, right? That's exactly what they're doing here. So let's get into the contract, the dollar amount, the implications of sending Jost versus getting Nico Stern back. I'm sure at this point a lot of people are educated, but just in case, dive into the numbers for us here. Tyson Jost was under contract next year for $2 million as well as this season. Nico Sturm makes 725k, which is less than the league minimum currently is of 750k because he signed it when the league min was 25k lower. So, the biggest thing here is not only do the Avalanche get out from under Tyson Jost's deal next summer, but they also get out from an extra 1.25 this year. And that's crucial because going into the trade deadline, even if you put Gabe Landeskog on LTIR, which has not happened yet, but that's the expectation if the Avalanche need it, you free up an extra $1.25 million in cap space for the trade deadline, which could do a lot for you. So it's pretty telling to me that they got a player that they like, and it's a million and a quarter less than what Tyson Jost was making to play that role better than Tyson Jost can because Tyson Jost is not a fourth-line center in the NHL. He should be playing higher up the lineup and get a better opportunity. The big thing here is, like I said, this is a short-term thing, and may maybe Nico Sturm resigns. I mean, he's way underpaid for what he's been bringing to the Minnesota Wild the last couple of years, but Sturm is also a pending unrestricted free agent, so if it doesn't work out or if he ends up pricing himself out of the Avalanche's market because he just plays so well and can get a better contract... The Avalanche don't need to pay him anything. It's gone. They free up that cap space. They can go look for a replacement. However, Tyson Jost makes $2 million against the cap next year, which Minnesota needs because they need contracts to know that they have players that are making a specific amount to build around their team. But whatever. We're not a Minnesota Wild uh, prod podcast. The other big thing is at the conclusion of the 22-23 season, Tyson Jost is still an RFA. So for Minnesota, they get to retain his rights past next year. The Avalanche pretty much have the rights of Nico Sturm locked up for about three or four months. And then after that, all bets are off. So there's a lot of salary cap implications. The Avalanche obviously are choosing the flexibility route. The Minnesota Wild are choosing more of a uh, having somebody locked up and knowing that you have an asset in the club, uh, you know, for the next couple of years. But in terms of the short-term game of the salary for this season, this is a huge one for the Avs and is going to help them immensely here at the deadline. Shifting the dollars around to potentially make the next big move, right? That's what I see coming. Basically. And that's what uh, everybody's anticipating. While also while also filling a need. Like, that's the cool part about this is it it works in, in multiple ways because you got a better suited fourth line center that fits a need for you at league minimum while freeing up contract space. It just it works in every single way. Like, it's a really good move when you when you think about it in terms of what the Avalanche need this season so look into the Arif Dean crystal ball here and would you say does Nico Sturm end up being just a rental for this year or do you think he's a guy that ends up sticking around just based off his style of play we'll see I mean if if he plays his ass off and the avalanche go out and win a cup who's to say somebody isn't going to value him like the way Barclay Goudreau was valued and you know signed a very long-term deal I don't I'm not saying he's going to get 3.6 or whatever the hell million dollars Chris Drury gave him with the Rangers but you know, who's to say he doesn't play really, really well and then gets like a three-year, $6 million deal somewhere? After all, he is only 26. So we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe he has fun and chooses to stay around for a million, million and a quarter. And even if that's the case, that's still less than what you were going to pay Tyson Jost. Imagine you go to a fortune teller, you pay her good money, maybe 100, 150 bucks for her hour. And you say, Mrs. Gypsy Lady, I want to know 
am I going to be rich one day? And she says, oh, thank you for the money. My crystal ball says, we'll see. What kind of an answer was that, Arif? A we'll see is what your crystal ball is telling you? That's that's all I got. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> Nico Sturm's gonna play his ass off, and he's gonna resign for two years, two and a half million. He's gonna make a million and a quarter on the fourth line. He's gonna be a fan favorite. And he's gonna do it wearing jersey number seventy-eight for some reason. <laughs> that's more like it. I love it. By by the way, by the way, Nico was wearing number seven in Minnesota. So uh, obviously, number seven is taken by Devon Taves. And I was texting Peter Baugh yesterday when the trade went down, or on Tuesday when the trade went down, and we were talking about how, like, you know, Avalanche fans are very sad and upset to see Tyson Jones go. And I said, it's going to be hilarious when Nico shows up and just takes jersey number 17 to put that extra dagger in everybody's heart. But I think he knew. I think he read the Twitter, the tweets, and he's like, let me not take Tyson's number. This is still a fresh wound in the fan base. Let me just take some random ass number and not screw with anybody. It only makes sense because, you know, 77 is taken, at least retired. By who? Oh, yes. I'm just kidding. I knew that. (laughs) But, yeah, let's get into that. Let's get into the Tyson-Jose side of the trade. And as you mentioned, it's kind of a soft spot for some Avs fans out there. I mean, you look at the production. You look at the opportunities he's been giving in his tenure here. He had been given. Um, You know, he, he really didn't shine. He didn't meet the expectations and never met the hopes of when he was first drafted, right? I mean, he was a relatively high draft pick, and there was a lot of, I guess, sparkle around him, a lot of hope. And he crushed it at North Dakota in his first year and then popped out into the NHL, and here we have baby Tyson Jost, and it was definitely a project on Jared Bednar's hands. Yeah, so the Tyson... When I think back to the Tyson Jost era and and his tenure with the Avalanche, it's kind of... I wouldn't want to say it's a failure, but I wouldn't want to call it a success. It definitely kept you wanting more Mm -hmm. because the avalanche gave him ample opportunity, but he was also rushed in many ways. So it's kind of like a whose fault was it really that he wasn't, you know, didn't become the player that he was. Because let's face it, when this guy was drafted 10th overall, it was like the avalanche love character players like this. They traded Ryan O'Reilly a year ago. And here comes this kid named Tyson Jones. I always think back to one specific player that he was compared to that will always stick with me. And that's Sean Couturier, which is another reason why, by the way, I kept thinking in my head, I'm like, if the avalanche trade for Claude Drew, it would make sense to include Tyson Jones because that's a guy that can learn from Couturier and, you know, maybe become a good 40 point player someday. But obviously he's in Minnesota now. So the big thing with Tyson Jost is, when he was a when he was not acquired but drafted by the Avalanche, they were not a very good team. It was the summer of 2016. Uh, they had just missed the playoffs again after pretty much selling the farm at the trade deadline to bring in Michael Bodker and Sean Mathias and all these deals that they made and still ended up pretty much shitting the bed in the last year of Patrick Waugh's era as the coach. And Tyson was drafted. We knew he was going to Nodak to play hockey. And he had a heck of a freshman year. But... Kale McCarr had a heck of a freshman year too, and he stayed around for that second year, and that was crucial like you wouldn't believe in the development of Kale McCarr. So I genuinely believe had the Avalanche been just a little bit better and Tyson Joe stayed there and they didn't need to rush him in and stayed for a sophomore season, we would be talking differently about Tyson Joe today. But on the other hand, the Avalanche had to rush him into the NHL because they weren't good enough. And then they got really fucking good, really fucking fast. And that screwed him too. Because when you think about it, he was given chances to play as a second line center. And he played with Kerfoot and and, and Comfer on that, you know, that young college line for a little while. And then he was, I, I will never forget when Donskoy and Berkey and, and Kadri and Nichushkin were all acquired that summer of 2019, Donskoy didn't start on the second line. It was left-wing Tyson Joe, center Nazem Kadri, right-wing Andre Burakovsky. So he got another chance there. But the Avalanche had to rush through his chances, and he wasn't taking advantage of them quick enough that he slowly found his way lower and lower in the lineup because the team got way too good way faster than they had expected. So because they were a bad team, he was rushed into the NHL. And because they got really, really good, really, really fast, his opportunities were rushed and they couldn't take their time developing him in the NHL. So now you have this player on the fourth line who you know should be much more than that, but you just don't see it in him. So it's kind of like this depressing touch of like 
what could have been, but at the same time, you can't win them all because they brought in all these guys. They did pretty damn well in trading Kerfoot. They did pretty damn well in bringing in Kadri and signing, you know, Nichushkin and trading for Burakovsky and all these deals that they've made over and over. And then Brandon Saad joins the team and leaves. And where they are today to the point where it's like Tyson Jost ended up being the sacrificial lamb of all of that. His tenure with the Avalanche epitomizes the fact that this team got really good really quick after sucking really bad. Yeah, I would I would say so. I don't think it's unjustified that he kind of was the sacrificial lamb. I mean, you you I pointed out the faceoffs, right? You pointed out the PK and what Nico Sturm's going to bring to it, and those are both areas where they were trying their hardest to give Tyson Jost those opportunities and trying to make him succeed. And as we all know, faceoffs and penalty kill are two of the items that are struggling. So you have to address those. And as always, you have to crack some eggs to make an omelet. I don't think Tyson Joe's production was anything to make to to say. All right, he's struggling at faceoffs. Our PK is struggling, and we're giving him the chance to kind of headman that. I don't think there was any reason that you can really look at Tyson Joe's and say this guy is a guy that needs to stick around. He's going to help us get better. I, no, 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 no. Don't don't get it twisted. The Tyson Jost that we know today and the Tyson Jost that his career with the Avalanche ended two days ago is the guy that they needed to trade to get better. When I say he was a sacrificial lamb, I mean his development in the NHL. Because if the Avalanche kept him in college for a year longer, we might have a different conversation. Or if the Avalanche didn't become a contender two years after drafting him or whatever it was, we also could be having a different conversation. Tyson Jost as a fourth-line center does not need to be on this team. But Tyson Jost could have potentially been a top-six forward, putting up 50 points, playing a two-way game, had he not been the sacrificial lamb of the Avalanche, rushing him and then rushing his development. What I was saying wasn't in reference to, to or a response to what you were saying. What I, For some reason, I oh, just gotcha. have in my mind the Avalanche fans out there that are upset by the trade, that were literally felt insulted by this trade like they just traded away Nathan McKinnon right that's kind of what I have stuck in my brain because there is a portion of avalanche land out there that just is really hurt by this move and I'm trying to justify for those people kind of the thought process behind the move because I just don't see a reason that Tyson Jost was going to help make this team better it was his shipping out I agree and 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 the reality is with Tyson is he is he is the finest of fine young men like he's such a good class act comes from a wonderful family and it's it's hard to not love him yeah the minnesota wild we're excited about the the locker room aspect that he brought to the team right he's a big big locker room guy and he, he he seemed really sad to leave he seemed so upset to leave the avalanche when you saw him in those first videos with the wild it almost looked like his eyes were still puffy from maybe tearing up a little bit but the Minnesota Wild are really excited to have him. There was a ton of hype. I don't know if you saw Minnesota Wild Twitter going on yesterday before his first game, but they have high expectations for this guy, which makes me a little worried for Minnesota Wild fans. I'm not sure they know exactly what they're getting in a guy like this. Sure, it might be nice to for him to get a fresh start, but I just don't think that's where his career is headed. And again, this is this is exactly what it goes back to when I was talking about the potential of trading him to Philly. Maybe he learns... Maybe he gets an opportunity. Look, Minnesota's got $14 million against the cap next year for the buyouts of Parisi and Suter. This is why they needed to make this deal. They now know that they have a forward named Tyson Jost that's going to make $2 million next year. But they also know they're probably going to have to trade Kevin Fiala, and they're not going to have a lot of depth next year. So Tyson's going to get some damn good opportunities. And maybe a new system, a new team, a new opportunity is going to give him that chance to become a better player. Look, there is a New York Rangers podcast or a person in the press box, or sorry, in the in the front office that sat back in 2018-19, or sorry, 2019-20, and looked at Ryan Graves playing on the top line with Kale McCarr and said, where the hell did we go wrong? How did he become this player as soon as he left us in this weird minor league trade for Chris Bigra? And that could be what happens with Tyson Jost. That's what I mean by he's a sacrificial lamb. There's still, there is more there with Tyson. I genuinely believe it. And it could be as simple as he gets as good as JT Comfort because he's not even JT Comfort level right now. A 30-point player, 35-point player that you can trust to play bigger minutes. Maybe that's his ceiling, but that's still better than what he's been here the last three years. He's been lowered into the lineup more and more each year as Valerie Nachushkin takes off and and guys like uh, Donskoy and Brandon Saad have like these high scoring seasons. He just, his opportunity here was just getting, you know, 
was diminishing by the season. So I don't know if the Minnesota Wild are going to get the better player. And I'm going to compare this to a trade the Avalanche made in the past, aside from the Ryan Graves thing. Um, and this is kind of the, the the a funny thing because you know I once before the media I was I was a hardcore Avalanche fan, and I remember there was a day where the Avalanche traded Stephen Elliott. This is going back to the Arizona Coyotes for Brandon Gormley. And the reason why that trade sticks out to me because Brandon it Gormley wasn't that far back. It was a few years, 2016 or 15, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, but like I think it was a 15-16 season. Brandon Gormley was a player that, with the Coyotes, this was supposed to be like a top four defenseman. This was supposed to be like a, a really good player that ended up just becoming a bust. And then they traded him to the Avalanche for Stefan Elliott. There was some you know hype around Stefan Elliott, but not as much as Brandon Gormley. So when the Avalanche made that trade, I said, hey... They basically are the pl- are the team that traded the Nico Sturm, the good fourth line center that you know that's his you know ceiling, for the, the the mystery box, the mystery box that is Brendan Gormley. Maybe he's nothing more than a fourth line center, but what if he does get better? What if he is like Ryan Graves and suddenly he's making three million dollars? Obviously on a different team now. So that's kind of the way that I see it from a Minnesota Wild standpoint. You know what you got in Nico Sturm, and it's a fourth line center that does a damn good job at that. And you're trading him for the mystery box of on the, you know, on the bad side of it. You know, if if worse comes to worse, you got a good, reasonable fourth line center in Tyson Jones, who's a great locker room guy and a great team player. But what if that mystery box is a second line winger, a second line center? Like he's still a young player. So that's kind of the thing that I go back to with Tyson Jost. This trade made sense for everybody. It made sense for Minnesota to get somebody that's locked up. It made sense for him to go to a team where he's going to get a better opportunity. It made sense for the Avalanche to acquire the bigger forward that can play the fourth line center role and help them with the run this year. Maybe resigns, maybe doesn't. It made sense for everybody, but it was depressing because everybody loves Tyson Jost from management to the coaching staff, to the players, to the media, to the fans. Tyson loved Denver. Something about the breakup was just a little bit shitty, but nothing about it was questionable. Nobody who's sad about Tyson Jost leaving looks at this trade and says, what the hell are you doing, Joe? Everybody understands why it was done. So that being said, what what would you say the Tyson Jost legacy in Colorado is going to be remembered as? Who is Tyson Jost? When we look back at his tenure here, how will he be remembered? A wonderful guy off the ice and on the ice, someone that left you wanting just a little bit more. And that's pretty much the last 20 minutes of what I've explained is that. Unfortunately for him, the memory that's always going to stick out in my mind is the last play I saw him make in front of my eyes. And that is taking a puck to the face and bleeding right in front of Darcy Kemper and leaving the ice. Like a warrior. (laughs) Absolutely. That's, that's, That's what... That's what it takes to be a hockey player, man. And you know, he 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 wasn't scared. Like he was he was a hockey player. He's not a big body. He doesn't throw his body around, but he got into the tough areas. He didn't shy away from it. He wasn't a perimeter player. And that's what I love about him. Um, the memory that for me that I'm gonna remember him by is the fact that February twenty third in Detroit, he scored. That was the game that I was there for. That's his last career goal with the goal with the Avalanche. So Shout out to Tyson Jost. Again, great family. Loved the videos when he first started of his grandpa at in the in the Pepsi Center crowd bawling his eyes out when he scored his first goal and bawling his eyes out when he made his debut and all that. Wearing jersey number 27 for that first year. Um, but again, off the ice, wonderful guy. You'll remember his charm, his smile, and the fact that he was a great locker room guy. But on the ice, left you wanting a little bit more, and he might be a little bit more in Minnesota. The smile. I think we'll always remember the smile. He was always smiling, and he gave his all. Every chance he got, he did his best. So, yep, good riddance to Tyson Jones. We wish nothing but the best for him, but I think the Avalanche are now better without him. 100%. I I love the deal. I love what Nico Sturm's going to bring. I think he's going to become a fan favorite pretty quick. Looks like Minnesota Wild fans love Nico as well. Um that's the vibe that I'm getting from Twitter is he was a fan favorite over there. He'd been there for a few years now, I think 2017 or 16 or 18. He's been there for three or four or five seasons now. But um, my, my favorite thing of Tyson Jost is, you know, oftentimes when you leave the rink late at night after the game, you know, you sometimes walk by a player as they're leaving and, you know, see you later, Nate or Gabe or Kemper, whoever, 
Tyson Jost was the only guy that every single time he wouldn't just say hello or see you later. He would walk with you and like have a little conversation with you. How's it going? How's this? How's that? And always finished it off with drive safe. I have three or four different occasions, different memories of walking with Tyson Jost out of the locker, out of the arena early in my tenure here. And then the last six months when we were obviously back downstairs again, because the entire middle portion of my time here has been up in the press box or, you know, in the weird COVID years where we were never on that lower level of the ball arena. So he's a great guy, but the Avalanche are definitely a better team now. And this is move number two that Joe Sackick has made that I think he did a great job at. One more to go. We'll see what it is. First, we got to talk about our friends at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Here I was, Arif, yesterday, just simply yesterday, driving down Arvada, shooting down Wadsworth on my way home, and I see a Total Beverage truck stopped at a stoplight, and I'm like, you know what? I know what that guy's doing. He is delivering some quality liquor at a cheap price to someone. They didn't even have to leave their home. This guy brought it to him. It was cool to see the Total Beverage truck out there in action. That's awesome. Nice looking truck. Nice looking truck. Yeah, one of our one of our longtime listeners, uh, let me shout him out real quick because he often messages me. His he's on Instagram at studio underscore Hirsch. His name is Denver Omelet. He said, I'm pretty sure Coach Bedner probably gets his beer at Total Beverage because of the podcast. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe that was his house it was getting delivered to. Did it look like a nicer house? You never know. <laughs> I don't know. It was definitely a nicer car. I mean, they didn't cheap out on the on the delivery. They definitely made it look nice, got some good decals. I, I was impressed. I was impressed to see it. Um, but let's move on to the L.A. game, the only game we haven't discussed since our last podcast, and another shutout. I mean, that's two shutouts in a row, both by the score of 3 nothing, and both with Darcy Kemper at the helm in net. Darcy Kemper, after we all shat on him for a couple days, he seems to have gone right back to the January, February version of, of himself. Yeah, prior to that shutout against the Calgary Flames, we had this podcast and, and Patrick asked us if we have trust in, in Darcy and the simple response was whether you do or you don't, you're going to live or die with this guy and, and the Avalanche have been living with him the last two games. It's mind-boggling to me that the Avalanche haven't had two consecutive games with a shutout since 2003. That's crazy. Darcy Kemper earlier this season had two consecutive shutouts, but it was with Francis playing a game sandwiched in between. This time, he did it two consecutive games in general. And the Avalanche have not had that since 2003 when Patrick Watt did it in January, 19 years ago. So you're telling me he's the second coming of Patrick Watt, essentially? He's, I mean, he's, he's done it twice this year. He's clearly better. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, other, the other big thing here is... Uh, Darcy has done this once before in his career where he had two consecutive shutouts. And who could remember Jerome McGinley's debut with the Avalanche coming off that series against the Minnesota Wild that they had lost previous season in 2014, October 2014. The first ever game that I ever attended at Pepsi Center as a lifelong Avalanche fan, Eric Johnson got ejected early in the first period for wrecking Eric Halla. And then Darcy Kemper and the Minnesota Wild went on to shut out the Avalanche 5 nothing. That's my first memory of Pepsi Center. And then two nights later, they played in Minnesota. So coming off of a seven-game series that the Avalanche lost, the schedule makers put the Avs in the Wild two games in a row against each other. They went back to Minnesota two nights later, 3 to nothing Minnesota shutout. So the last and the only other <laughs> time Darcy Kemper has had two consecutive games with a shutout where he played both the games because he obviously did it with the Avs earlier this season. He shut out the ass. 5-0 and 3-0 in October 2014, the first two games Jerome McGinley played here. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see him get going again. And I remember that series well, right? Brzezgalov kind of was the the guy, and then Darcy Kemper came and and stole the show and really kind of ruined the Avalanche's hopes that year. (laughs) And then then Darcy got injured late in Game 7 with the Avalanche up 5-4. 
and Briz had to come off the bench and finish off the game. Minnesota tied it and won in overtime, even though the Avalanche had a cold Ilya Brizgalov to shoot on in overtime. What a year that was. And refreshing to see his play being at that level right now because it seems like the offense has cooled down a little bit. Not necessarily in a bad way because they're still figuring out to win games, and they're coupling it with really strong defense. I mean, you don't get two shutouts in a row without strong defense in front of your goaltender. So... Good to see him pick up the weight where it's being slacked, I guess, lacked, slacked. I, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say here. But um, yeah, <laughs> I got but you. with the offense, you know, that's exactly the point I was trying to make is come playoff time. There are going to be nights where the offense carries you and, and scores six goals. There's going to be a night where you're going to have to depend on the defense and Darcy Kemper. And as long as that's all on the same page, you're going to be in great shape. And right now it kind of seems to be in that in that form. Absolutely. And and I thought it was great. And I thought kind of what epitomized the game that the Avalanche played against L.A. Obviously, he wasn't there for Calgary was Josh Manson's debut and the physical, rugged style of game he played. Like it seems like Josh M Manson was inserted into the Avalanche lineup for the perfect timing of playing a game against a heavy L.A. Kings team that plays that style of game. A team he's familiar with. I'm sure there was a lot of comfort on his end saying, all right, at least I get to play a team that I've seen a hundred times in my career. I'm okay with this. I know exactly how to... But he stepped in and looked good. He looked his role. He looked exactly what we were, I guess, sold on when he was brought to the team, right? He was throwing the body. He knows what he's being asked to do, and he already came out doing it with flying colors. Yeah, and... Uh who was playing on those LA teams for so many years was Curtis McDermott. So for all I know, he was probably getting McDermott in his kitchen or vice versa many, many times during those, you know, games that they played LA versus Anaheim for all those years. And then, uh, yeah, we, we have to acknowledge Nathan McKinnon here, right? Nathan McKinnon's still on an offensive tear. I mean, he's kind of been on an offensive tear all year. Sometimes it's with assists, sometimes it's with goals, but right now he's doing a nice combination of the two and uh, pretty sure he's on a point streak if I'm not mistaken. A lot of goals from Nathan McKinnon lately, and I'm absolutely in love with it. When he missed that game against the Red Wings, he had 12 goals, and now he's up to 21. So he obviously didn't score against the LA Kings, but he has been on fire. The crazy thing is he has had a point in every single game he's played dating back to, I want to say, oh, here it is, January 20. Oh, dang. So the only two games that Nathan McKinnon has not had a point since mid-January are the game against Boston where he got knocked out in the first shift in that Taylor Hall play, and then the game against Carolina where they got shut out three games ago. So he doesn't have a point streak right now. It's only the last two games because of the shutout, but he's just been on fire. And ever since that game against the Red Wings that he missed, he's got nine goals in the last 10 games to go along with two, four, five, six assists. So he's just been incredible lately. Right. I mean, 61 games into the season so far, and I'm sure it's single digits that Nathan McKinnon doesn't have a point in a game. And one of them being a game where he played very, very little, the Boston one you're referring to. So, yeah, Nathan yeah, McKinnon playing well. Seconds. Yep. We have to acknowledge the play of Val Nachushkin as well, right? I mean, he got that goal. I know you love talking about Val Nachushkin, but stepping in and filling Gabe Landeskog's shoes and just doing it the way we all expected him to play. He's playing Val Nachushkin hockey right now, and um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be letting up, right? At the beginning of the season when he's playing well, part of you is like, all right, well, how long can he keep this going? Because we've seen him through ups and downs in his tenure here, what does he have left in, in the bag? And he's brought nothing but uh, good, hard-nosed hockey. And career-high 15 goals that he hasn't hit since his 2013-14 season, his rookie year. He was like Nathan McKinnon, a 2013 draft pick that played that same year, 13-14. So shout-out to Val Nachushkin, man. There's not a lot of things. There's, there's not a lot more that I can say about him that I haven't said since October. I've been loving on this guy since the season started. And um, with the Avalanche locking up Pavel Fransuz, I would hope that Joe Sackick decides let's lock up Val before the playoffs or just get it done to know that there's one fewer guy that you have to worry about. Absolutely. So that being said, let's take a second for our buddies over at the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey West Regional Championship hosted by the University of Denver at Budweiser Event Center located on the Ranch Campus in Loveland. It's going to be a fun-filled week of hockey weekend, I guess you could say, as there's two semifinal games played on March 24th. One ticket for both games on those on that Thursday. So you can either go to one or go to both. Pick and choose which one you like better, which one fits your work schedule better, but a good price for a good hockey game up in Loveland right in our backyard. 
Of course, there's a championship game that Saturday, March 26th, the afternoon. Uh, Two-day packages are available, so you can either buy the entire weekend and go see all the hockey games or just buy the single-day t- single tickets and, again, pick and choose which ones you want to see. The winner of this tournament is going to go to the Frozen Four, so a lot at stake. DU's ranked pretty high this year. They had a, a pretty good season, and we'll see where they end up, but... Um, it's going to be fun seeing some of the teams that are coming in to play DU. Some of them can really be big names. And again, with so many transplants in the city, you know there's going to be some good, I guess, little rivalries in the crowd. So make sure you go and support the University of Denver or whatever team you like best. But, you know, I'm a local guy. I'm DU and an Az fan and a Nuggets fan and not a Rockies fan anymore, as I announced on the hockey show the other day. But of course, Multiple hotels within walking distance of the uh, rink there, multiple bars, multiple restaurants, really going to be a fun little event for the community. So why don't you be involved? You know, the Denver hockey scene is going to be there. We'll be there. Come say hi to us. Shake our hands. We're excited to see you. NCAA Men's Ice Hockey Regional up in Loveland. Moving on, Arif, let's get to, uh, I guess, a, a little trade deadline preview. Of course, Joe Sackett getting active early. So part of me fears that come trade deadline when we go to do our trade deadline recap podcast we might already have discussed everything Joe Sackick's done but we know that there's likely one more move ahead of us so let's get into it I want to do a, a, I guess a little form of a hybrid rapid fire versus game show for you here so what I want to do is basically gauge your confidence level on Joe Sackick moving for any of these players let's hear it all right let's do it all right, well, let's get into it. I think I've got 11 players here for you. So let's start with the easiest and the low-hanging fruit. That's Claude Giroux. 1 to 10, your confidence level on Joe Sackick acquiring Claude Giroux. Do you say Claude or Claude? I think it's Claude. Claude Giroux. Uh, it, it is, yeah. but what do you say is what I, I kind of go back. Because I say Claude. I, co- I kind of go back and forth. I was saying a lot of Claude the other day, and then I caught myself saying a lot of Claude today talking off the podcast. So we'll go with Claude. I'll stick with Claude because I'm an American, and this is America. American. America. Yeah, so um Claude Giroux, I'm gonna say I don't know if I wanna if I wanna go one to ten on if Sackick's gonna acquire him as much as one to ten on the Avalanche's interest level in, in these guys, just because it's gonna be hard to like just be like, yeah, ten for this guy and ten for that guy. So in terms of the Avalanche's interest level, I'll say ten. Uh the Avalanche acquiring him, we'll see. I mean, the Florida Panthers are very interested, but you know, I wholeheartedly believe, and a lot of insiders are saying this too, that the Avalanche are ten out of ten interested in this guy and going for him, and and that's simple as that. Do they have the pieces to make it work compared to Florida? I mean, Florida's got Owen Tippett, which did not, who did not play for Charlotte today in the AHL. They sat him to kind of protect the asset just in case he ends up getting traded for Drew, which looks like it might happen now. Um, the Avalanche don't have Drew Hellison anymore or Tyson Joe, so it might be J- Justin Barron, it might be Sample Ranta, maybe JT Comfer. Um, can the Avalanche put together a better offer than the Florida Panthers? I guess we'll find out. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is the Florida Panthers have a prospect named Mackie Samoskevich that was drafted in the first round last year, plays for University of Michigan. He was like the forgotten piece of all those guys from Michigan that got drafted in the first round last year. If they put him on the table, I think Florida for sure gets him. But 10 out of 10, interest. That wasn't very rapid fire, but it's Claude Drew. He deserves the most conversation. See, I just said Claude. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I just, like I said at the top show, I'm going to be disappointed if the Avalanche don't end up pulling the strings and and pulling the trigger on this one. But the thing is, they never, ever acquire the person you think they're going to acquire ever like you every single season the bell of the ball the one that everybody's talking about the avalanche are probably in on it but they never end up making that move and they come out of left field and make a move that you either consider better or as good who saw burakovsky and kadri coming in that summer like those were like when they traded carl soderberg to arizona you're like they're freeing up cap space they're freeing up a roster spot suddenly kadri and burakovsky are your second line staples and have been here since and was that the summer taylor hall was the, the hot commodity Taylor Hall was a hot commodity. There was talks of Chris Kreider getting traded. This is before Mika Zibanejad went on his tear. And, you know, are the Rangers going to trade him? There was a whole bunch of a whole bunch of different guys that I thought the Avalanche were going to go for, and they didn't. And they ended up with Nazem Kadri, and they ended up with Andre Barakovsky. All right, let's go to our next guy then, and that's J.T. Miller. I know we've discussed him a couple times, and uh, it's kind of died out a little bit around J.T. Miller. Yeah, I would say it's about a 3 out of 10 in their interest level right now just because I think 
maybe three, four weeks ago, it would have been a little bit higher, but JT Miller is having a spectacular season and the Vancouver Canucks are suddenly in the playoff race. And why trade this guy? Like you can make the playoffs. He could play well and he's under contract next season. Um, there's nothing short of a new hooker, a Byram that's going to make them even think about trading this guy right now. So I would say three. That brings us to Patrick Kane. I know there's a lot of hope around it, but it doesn't seem like there's too much smoke around that fire. Yeah, I'd say that's a one. If uh, Patrick Kane's going to get traded, if he even wants to get traded, I could see it happening next summer or next trade deadline, you know, heading into his pending UFA status. I just cannot see that happening right now at the deadline. Right. I think uh, his, he's probably going to give it more time in Chicago. Chicago has to be pretty bad, kind of like a Claude Giroux type situation yep, for him exactly. to finally say, all right, I, I like out. Yep. That brings us to Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp. 10 out of 10. That's the guy I think that the Avalanche are going to go hard after. And, you know, I, I know you said Joe Sackick making one more move. Who's to say it's not two? Like, you know, if he doesn't get Claude Giroux, who's to say he doesn't go out and trades for Andrew Kopp and, you know, some other depth piece? Like, there, there's a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of different things that Colorado can do. And obviously, if you're making two moves, you're trading somebody off your roster like a JT Comfer. But if you're making one move and keeping Comfer, I can see Andrew Kopp being that guy if Claude Giroux goes to Florida. Sure, sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right for calling me out there because it could be one big move or it could be two lighter moves that, that you know you have to move some pieces around for. Maybe sure. a mixture of both if they really, really do want to sell the farm and prospects. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe JT Comfer is part of the deal that brings in Claude Giroux, and then they go out and trade for Andrew Kopp, and suddenly your third line is Giroux with Kopp and, and centerman Alex Newhook. Like, there's a lot of different things that could happen here. But with Kopp, 10 out of 10. Next, out of Montreal, you and I, this was kind of one of the first names we started throwing back and forth when the trade deadline was approaching a few weeks ago, and that's Arturi Lekkonen. Arturi Lekkonen is the player that a lot of the uh, insiders like to call like uh, the similar to like a Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau, that guy that you can get at a decent cap hit. And there's another guy in Chicago that's similar to that, that hopefully you mentioned his name. I hope so, um, where he plays that kind of a role. Arturi Lekkonen makes two point three million this year, and then he's an RFA at the end of the year. So similar to Goudreau and, and Coleman, you're going to get him for multiple years. It's just a matter of what he's going to make. I would put him at about an eight in terms of the Avalanche's interest level. Hey, let's go right back to what I just said. Who's to say they don't go out and trade for Andrew Kopp and Arturi Lekkonen and really shape that third line with those two and Alex Newhook the way that the Tampa Bay Lightning shaped their third line with Goudreau and uh, Coleman being acquired and playing with Yanni Gord and that line just being lights out. Now I have to go down my list and pull out the Chicago guy that I had. And no. here we go. I already named one Chicago guy. Here we got Brandon Hagel out of Chicago. Hell yeah, that's the guy. That's the other guy. Brandon Hagel's under contract, I believe, for only $1.5 million this year and next. He scores a lot of goals. He's a hardworking, hard-nosed type of player. And he's only five foot, 11, 175 pounds, I want to say. He's got 21 goals this year, 37 points in 55 games. Um, I would say kind of like Arturi Lekkonen. I'd put him at about an eight where maybe the Avalanche get this guy as well as, you know, Andrew Copper, maybe him and Lekkonen. Like, that's the kind of deal where you can see the Avs going out and acquiring two parts to kind of shape the third line, and he's another one of those guys. Uh, he's under contract, I was wrong, two more seasons after this year at only $1.5 So if you're going to trade for Brandon Hagel, expect to give up maybe a first-round draft pick and a prospect like Sample Ranta or Martin Cowder, Shane Bowers, like a throw-in piece. But it's going to take at least a first-rounder to get a guy who's got 21 goals and two more years after this year at $1.5 All right, I've got five more for you, and I feel like these next five aren't necessarily picking up that much steam. Just simply names that we've heard thrown out there that could or could not hmm. be available. So I'm going to start right. with Ricard Raquel. I'd put that at about a one simply because if the Avalanche are trading for Ricard Raquel, then he's not going to be a good player unless you put him on the top six. And uh, I, you know how I, how I feel about Valerie Nachushkin. He's not giving up his spot on the top six for Raquel. And Raquel's just not suited for the third or fourth line. So... I'd put that out of one, and if I can go lower, I would. We've seen the Avalanche and Max Domi's names be associated. Your thoughts on that one? I could maybe see that happen in the summer, um, but kind of similar to that, what I just said about 
Raquel, I don't really know if Max Domi's the kind of guy you want playing on your bottom lines. Maybe he's a guy you want playing as a top six winger. And in a summer where Valerie Nachushkin and Andre Burakovsky are both pending UFAs, you know, the I would imagine Nachushkin's coming back. Who knows about the other guy? Um, maybe Max Domi becomes a top six guy next season. But I just I can't see it this year. And he's also, you know, if you're gonna hedge your bet on a guy to be a top six. I don't know if he's the guy you want. He's only got nine goals in each of the last two seasons. Um, so I would say one out of 10 for this trade deadline after that to be determined. I'm not sure I'm feeling it because, you know, he's only been in the league six seasons. He's already on his third team. Colorado would be his fourth. I, that doesn't strike yeah. me as a guy that Colorado exactly banging down the door for, right? They want former captains. They want leaders. They want. They don't want necessarily other teams. Um, I don't want to call it trash, but, you know, Kind of other teams yeah. used goods, we'll call it. And and he's a pending UFA, by the way. So maybe this summer he signs a cheap deal with the Avs, and you never know. Now that brings me to Toronto's Willie Nylander. I don't know if they're going to be exactly sellers, hmm. but it doesn't feel like Willie Nylander is exactly cherished there in Toronto. William Nylander is a good player that Toronto loves to pick on somebody, and that's just the guy they're doing nowadays. So... um well, obviously it's him because Mitch Marner is having a badass season. You can't really talk about him, but uh, that's a one. There, there's, there's nothing there to be done. Um, you know, who, who would Toronto even want? I guess Sam Gerrard, but Sam Gerrard's injured, and and if you're the Avalanche, you're not trading that guy right now. Maybe in the summer. Maybe this is a summer deal when you do lose that winger in Burakovsky or in Nachushkin or both, and uh, maybe this is a summer move when you know Bowen Byram is knock on wood healthy and ready to rock and. Maybe Manson resigns, and you say Byron Manson's our second pair. We can trade Sam Gerrard. Um, there's a whole bunch of moving parts here, and it would be kind of cool if Nazem Kadri resigns and they acquire Nylander. They were good friends in Toronto, but one out of ten. And again, like Domi, if I can go lower, I would. And I don't think William Nylander's a guy that's being shopped. I think the reason his name started getting floated out there was because of a fake rumor of Nylander for Sorokin. So I, I, I don't think that they're looking to ship him out. Yeah, that's there's. No way in hell that trade's happening either. Lou Lamorello would never. Right. And uh, that brings us to Cal Clutterbuck, speaking of Lou Lamorello. Hmm. Um, that was a good transition. Cal Clutterbuck, um, I mean, had the Tyson Jost and Nico Sturm trade not happen, I could kind of see it. Like, you know, maybe we shop for Clutterbuck and throw him on the fourth line. But, like, at this point, you have... Darren Helm pretty much locked into one of those spots. You have Nico Sturm as your fourth line center. If you trade Cal for Kyle Clutterbuck, then you're basically going to have a third line of New Hook, O'Connor, and Comfer, which is what you have right now. And you're not going to acquire a forward to play on your third line. So, like, there's just not a lot of spots to go around. I just, I, I don't know. I, I would say three. Three just under the case that, you know, maybe he comes in as a depth piece, a 13th and 12th forward kind of guy. But, I think he's very valued around the league and will go for a lot more than that. A lot more than what the Avalanche should offer, I should say. So we'll say three. Right, and I'm not sure he brings enough to the table for what you would have to give up for him at his age exactly. in, uh, yeah. in that kind of role. So one more for you here, and this is going to be close to your heart considering he's a Michigan graduate and a former mm -hmm. line mate of JT Confer. That's Tyler Mott. I love Tyler Mott. Um Let's put him in the category of Brandon Hagel, Andrew Kopp, and uh, Arturi Lekkinen as like that solid third-line depth guy that you can bring in. I would put him at about a six just because I think he's probably like the fourth name on that list of four that I just gave you. Um, but it would be pretty cool to, for the Avalanche to get him. He's only got 15 points in 46 games, so he's definitely fourth on that list. Uh, but he's a really good energy player, and you know he plays mostly center, so maybe not a six, maybe a four. But... Man, between Andrew Kopp and Tyler Mott, both of those guys played with JT Comfer for a season, you know, for a season or two or three, I want to say. So it would be cool if they kind of were reunited here. But like if the Avalanche are acquiring two forwards and bringing both Kopp and Mott, I would assume JT is getting traded in one of the deals. So it doesn't really my little fantasy scenario is not really going to play out. No, but it would be fun to see him reunited with old teammates. I mean, we, it was just last podcast we were talking about how you know what you're getting out of JT Confer at this point. Maybe adding something like that could help get you a little bit more out of him. But again, I think Confer is kind of the next piece that might be dealt if there's the uh, opportunity to if deal. If there him. is. 
Yeah. If there is another player moved off the <clears> roster, <throat> maybe maybe the only thing Sakic does is brings in one guy like Copper Lekkinen and and calls it a day or Giroux. But if anybody's going to get traded off the roster, I would say it, you know, from the forward group, I would say JT Comfer's one and like a second place way, way down the list is maybe Darren Helm because I can't see him trading Logan O'Connor under that deal. Um, maybe Burakovsky, but I, there's no reason to because the team acquiring him is going to get a pending UFA. So, and that would be for a bigger deal. But yeah, I, I just think JT's the only one that would go. Well, that being said, you got San Jose tomorrow night, another late one, 8.30. The NHL scheduling department hates Colorado Avalanche fans. And then, of course, a nice little homestand next week with Edmonton, Minnesota, and Philadelphia. Oh, sorry, Vancouver. Van- Edmonton, Vancouver, Philadelphia, excuse me. Yep, and uh, Vancouver, Tyler Mott, Philadelphia, Claude Drew. There could be some players coming here that might be playing their former teams the very same week, so... It's going to be fun, man. The trade deadline's Monday and then three straight games at Ball Arena, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, I'm excited for it. This week has been a little bit of uh, fewer games, but a lot of avalanche news with the trades while they're on the road. Um, So I'm excited to see what the weekend and Monday bring. Yep, 21 to go, but you know we'll be here. All 21 of those continuing to break down week by week, a couple times a week, Avs Hockey for you here on Hockey Mountain High. Don't forget to check out our friends at Total Beverage and, of course, the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey West Regional Championship. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we're going to be back Monday sometime after the trade deadline before the game starts at 7.30. So anytime between 1 p.m. and 7.30, we're going to try to record it and get the show up for you before puck drops so you can listen to it during the intermissions or something. But, um, yeah, we'll recap, hopefully, some more deals from the Avalanche. Um but I want to give put one last thing into the podcast just because you mentioned Lula Morello. I remembered this. Elliot Friedman released his 32 thoughts last night. And number 27 of his 32 thoughts, he said, before extending Pavel Francouz, Colorado checked out the goalie market. I don't imagine it was a coincidence that Semyon Varlamov started against them last week in New York. Francouz's extension appears to end that. The Avalanche aren't done on or off the ice. They have inquired about Patrick Qua- Patrick Kane, and then in parentheses, he says, I don't think so. And then Drew and Cop, parentheses, we will see, among others. Assistant GM Chris McFarland, not interviewing for openings in Anaheim or Chicago, indicate there is an internal plan for him too. So he just went off the board with three different things. Before extending Pavel Francouz, the Avalanche looked at potentially reacquiring Semyon Varlamov. That's what I got from what he just said there. The second part, the Avalanche are... Definitely in on Drew and Cop, and lo and behold, those are the two guys I gave a 10 to. The third part, Chris McFarland not interviewing for openings in Anaheim and Chicago for the GM job indicates there's an internal plan for him. I am willing to bet, similar to the Shanahan and Kyle Dubas thing in, in Toronto, similar to the way George McPhee was the GM of Vegas and elevated to a president role to allow Kelly McCrimmon to get the GM role and remain within the organization, I think very soon Chris McFarland might have the GM title and Joe Sackick is your president of hockey operations and Chris McFarland's not going to go anywhere, which would be awesome. Um, between that and the Varley news, there was a lot to uncover there, but that's just something that I had to bring in there. Indeed. We'll see what happens. Um, Patrick's looking at me like he's ready to go. He's tired. It's late. We got to get... I think you're looking at me like... No, it's Patrick. I'm blaming Patrick. Patrick, we're we're getting done. We're wrapping up here. All right. Chill out. Chill out. (laughs) Um, So that being said, thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. We'll be back to keep breaking down this Avs hockey for us. You know, if you like our show, leave us a little rating. Five star. Tell your friends. Tell your moms. Tell your mom's friends. Tell your friends' moms. Tell all the moms. Tell everybody. Um, That being said, you know, thanks for hanging out with us as always. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we out you.